Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Vreelin, and this is the Prelim Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the curtain jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend, UFC Overeem versus Volkov live from Las Vegas. It's an exciting card and with some meaningful fights on it. But, of course, those of you who frequent this show know we are not going to be talking about the top of this card where there's potential title implications. But we are going to be breaking down the entire pre- preliminary portion of the card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show, you might be wondering to yourself, why the prelims? Why not talk about this exciting heavyweight tilt or there's a good lightweight tilt on the main card? Why, why are we down here focused on the prelims? And the answer is very simple. The answer is, we think you probably know a lot about Alistair Overeem. You maybe even know a lot about Benil Dariush or... Carlos Diego Fajeda, or, or all the names up there on the main card. But there's a lot of guys on these prelims that you probably don't know all that much about. And that's where there's a lot of money to be won in both daily fantasy sports and gambling, or even if you just want to know these guys for your own personal enjoyment when you tune on to the prelims. And speaking of daily fantasy sports and gambling, I would be remiss if I did not mention that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by AJMMABetting.com. For gambling breakdowns and analysis that put the other guys to shame, Visit AJ'sMMABetting.com because AJ does so much more than just shoot you his picks every single week. He gives you education and insight that helps you make informed decisions, grow your bankroll, and have continued success. Why go to an anonymous tipster who is just shooting you blank ideas or blind picks that you know nothing about when you can go to a proven winner? Plus, AJ has all of the analysis now for free, so there's nothing to lose other than your current bad decisions. So follow him now at AJ's MMA Betting on Twitter or at AJMMABetting.com. Now, once again, I can never do this show without another co-host. So joining me today from Bloody Elbow is Kristen King. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me back. You know I love doing these prelim breakdowns with you. Awesome. And as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about two grizzled veterans in Michael Johnson versus Clay Guida. Johnson, three straight losses, all by different finishes. He got knocked out by Josh Emmett. He lost a decision to Stevie Ray and then got submitted by Tiago Moises. So it has not been good to him lately. Clay Guida, meanwhile, also only one in three in his last four. That lone win being over a very taxed out BJ Penn. Losses to Charles Oliveira, Jim Miller, and Bobby Green in there. So... Uh, obviously, these guys are guys who fought the best of the best over their careers. But for me, in this fight, knowing that they're they're both kind of past their prime at this point in time, it's kind of all about which one is degraded more. And to me, Johnson seems to still have that speed. Do you think that Guida can sort of keep up with the speed and the hand speed of Michael Johnson? I think that he can. And ironically enough, I was going to make that same point for Guida. I feel like no matter how long it's been since we've been watching Clay Guida compete, he's always remained the same type of fighter. And that's not to say that that's a bad thing. It's just you know what to expect from Clay Guida. He's always going to stay in your face. He's going to keep coming regardless of what you do. And I think that that kind of activeness and energy right now can be a very big issue for Michael Johnson, who seemingly makes the most ridiculous decisions as of late, and it costs him fights that he should definitely be winning. So for me, I feel like, is Johnson going to be able to keep up with what, what with the kind of output that Guida is known for? He's going to stay in there no matter what. Johnson has been shown to be tired. I mean, look at look at the uh, um, the, the Josh Emmett fight. He was winning that fight 100%. 
He took his foot off the pedal, and guess what happened? He got knocked out. You can't slow down against someone like Clay Guido who's going to keep coming forward and he's going to wear you down no matter what. So I think my concern is, is Johnson going to be able to keep up with this kind of pace that Guida is? Because I don't see Guida tiring at all. Absolutely, Michael Johnson has the faster hand speed. But I mean, against someone like Clay Guida, who's notoriously tough to finish anyway, how is that going to play out in this fight? So I, I'm, I'm losing my confidence in, in Michael Johnson. I definitely hear that argument, too. Here's the thing I will say about that, though, is, you know, you mentioned he slowed down in the Josh Emmett fight, got knocked out. He slowed down noticeably in the Tiago Moises fight, and he wound up getting submitted. You know, he slowed down in the Stevie Ray fight, lost a close decision. If he comes out strong enough against Clay Guida, and even if he starts to slow, do you see Guida as being the type of person who can put him away? No, definitely not. No, no putting away for for. Clay Guida, I think he does enough to to earn a decision, but I don't think Michael Johnson is going to be finished so easily by, by Clay Guida. I think he'd have to have some really heavy hands right now, and I don't think Clay, Clay Guida possesses that at this time. I think the volume is what really makes the difference. All right, and I think I'm going to differ with you on this pick. I think I'm going to take Michael Johnson by decision still, but I, I mean, I totally hear what you say about Guida, and at this stage in this career... There, there's certainly a lot of question marks on both of them. Mm -hmm. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Mike Rodriguez versus Danilo Marquez. Rodriguez won and two in his last three, but it, it is worth noting that his last loss was a very weird submission loss to Ed Herman, in which seemingly he had won the fight and then suddenly he had lost the fight. Uh, Danilo Marquez, meanwhile, made his UFC debut back in September. He won by decision over Kadis Abrigamov. So, for me in this fight, it seems like kind of one of those striker versus grappler matchups, sort of the classic, you know, long, light rangey guy in Mike Rodriguez versus a, you know, a little bit tougher of a, a guy who wants to put you up against the cage in Danilo Marquez. Do you think if this does not go to the ground, Marquez stands a chance? Ooh, no question that Mike Rodriguez would definitely have the advantage in the striking department. And if he can, I mean, yeah, in the striking department. And if he remains on the feet. I see it being a, a tough night for Danilo Marquez. I mean, it's obvious that, as you said, this is a complete striker versus grappler type of fight. But the thing about someone like Mike Rodriguez, who definitely has the power to put someone away, it just seems that he's a little bit inconsistent. He wins a fight by knockout. He loses a fight by knockout. He wins again. But then that's a no contest. Now, he, he almost, I guess he won the fight against Ed Herman when it looked like he finished him with a body shot, and then he ends up losing that fight again. So it's just like he has the power to put people away, but I'm worried about his ground game, and I think a lot of people may use that um, the, the fight against Ed Herman as a, as a perfect example as to if he does somewhat struggle on the ground and against someone like Marquez, who is very well known in the grappling area, that, that could be a mishap. So if Danilo somehow decides to keep it standing, I would be absolutely shocked, but knowing that Rodriguez recently suffered a submission loss and knowing that grappling and the ground game is your bread and butter I would hope that he sticks to that other than that Rodriguez has this if he remains standing all right so I guess then it begs the question which way do you see it going do you see him getting him down and getting the sub or do you see this winding up on the feet Oh, man, it really just depends. But you know how I am when when it comes to striker, striker versus grappler. I always tend to lean towards the grappler. I will do that in case, but I'm very aware that the possibility of a knockout happening is high. So I'm going to say Marquez, maybe by decision, if he just grinds him out on the ground, 
But just be aware that Rodriguez absolutely has the power to knock him out. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to go with that side, too. And maybe it's my East Coast bias playing in here, too, because I, I have to pick the Massachusetts boy and Mike Rodriguez. I'm going to go with him by knockout here because I, I think, you know, if, if it stays on the feet long enough and every round starts on the feet, I think he gets it done. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with round number two. All right, guys, let me tell you about my favorite feature of the breakdowns that AJ sends you out from AJ'sMMABetting.com every time with his picks. When he sends you the picks and the lines, he also lets you know the implied probability of the pick. So he gives you the line, and then he says this implies that the fighter would win 70% of the time. I actually think it's 90%. That way you can see the value in the line. And the really cool thing about that is, first of all, not a lot of people are giving you that information. But second of all, it gives you knowledge and wherewithal so that you can have faith in the process. Because at the end of the day, gambling isn't all about that big hit from last week. It's about continued success. And that's what AJ is trying to show you at AJ'sMMABetting.com. I highly suggest following him there and on Twitter at AJ'sMMABetting. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Carol Rosa versus Joseline Edwards. So Rosa 2-0 in the UFC. She beat Lara Procopio and Vanessa Mello, both by decision. Joseline Edwards, meanwhile, debuted less than a month ago when she beat Yanan Wu by decision on January 16th. So uh, obviously, I wasn't really hyped on Joseline Edwards when she made her debut I'm not sure whether or not I'm still hyped on her or if that was just like a good style matchup. There was weird late notice stuff going on. How do you feel about the newcomer after that debut two weeks ago? You know, I'm excited about Jocelyn uh, Edwards. I thought she looked great in her debut. I I thought that um, her striking arsenal was obviously very well mixed. Um, She went to the head. She went to the body. She went to the kicks. And I love someone that isn't just like a primarily a headhunter. I think that it's great that she mixes up her striking here and there. I will say that sometimes she may have an issue as far as like the grappling goes, but I think that that's an area for improvement that she can definitely work on as she continues her time in the UFC. But the Bantamweight division, especially the women's Bantamweight division is always in need of new blood. And I was very excited to see her get signed. I saw a few of her highlights on on Twitter uh, with, because of, Kaposa, a well-known MMA <laughs> on Twitter, you know what I mean? So I, absolutely, <laughs> very excited to see what she could bring to the table. I thought that her her um, her debut in the UFC was good, I, and I was excited to see that she had no hesitation in, in accepting another uh, short notice fight. So I'm excited to see what she does in this one. Me too. And I will say, while while I did think there's definitely room for improvement for her on the ground game, she she kind of succumbed to a couple of takedowns that I kind of wish she didn't. I was really impressed by her use of her hips because mm-hmm. a lot of times on the way to the mat, you know, she turned in just the right angle. She elevated her opponent in just the right way, you know, like got underneath Wu just to lift her enough with her hips to wind up on a top position in a lot of times where it looked like she wasn't going to. I'm not positive that all of that isn't that she seemed to have a quite a bit of a strike it, strength advantage over Yanan Wu. But regardless, like the fact that she was using that to get good positions gives me hope against somebody like Carol Rosa because I actually think she has the advantage on the feet. And if she can stay out of bad positions against Carol Rosa on the mat, I actually am going to pick Jocelyn Edwards by decision here. How about you? I'm going to go 
with Rosa by unanimous decision. I know in light of my praise for Edwards, it sounds like I would pick her, but I think that Rosa is an absolute juggernaut. And I think the problem is you said that there is room for improvement, especially on the ground against someone like Rosa, who we've seen compete in a way that like, look at her win over Vanessa Mello. She absolutely dominated and which we expected because I believe we broke that fight down as well together. We expected that to happen. I am worried that maybe the small inklings of, of, of holes in, in Edwards' ground game is just enough for Rosa to be able to take advantage of. So I have to say Rosa, by unanimous decision, is going to be my pick. All right, well, we're 0 for 3 in agreeing, so let's see how number 4 goes. We got Molly McCann versus Lara Procopio. McCann was on a three-fight winning streak before she got that snapped by Talia Santos back in July. Procopio lost her UFC debut to the aforementioned Carol Rosa in August of 2019 by split decision. She's been on the shelf since then. Um, the, the interesting thing in this one for me is you got Lara Procopio, who in her one UFC fight, she got hit with and through and landed 11 strikes per minute. Just like an absolutely insane output. Is that a good thing when you're fighting somebody like Molly McCann, though? I feel like it could be. It, it really just depends because McCann is also good in her output. I think that I think she's primarily a boxer. So that's always a good sign when you have someone willing to engage with you in that area. But I mean, I think that it, it just it, it matters who is faster here and who is more volume oriented. And for some reason, I am leaning towards Procopio in that moment. I think Molly McCann has certainly improved in areas that she has lacked thus far in the UFC. This is definitely like almost a, a litmus test just to see where she is as a as a competitor. And I feel like this fight, she could absolutely win it. It just depends on which way she decides to take it. Whereas someone like Procopio, who has the striking, who has the volume, and not even that, she can take advantage of, of the holes that McCann has started to close but they are still very visible as far as her wrestling and ground game goes if Procopio mixes all of that together it's kind of hard for me to see how Molly McCann wins this fight even though I think she has looked great in her last few before she lost to Talia Santos I'll say this too about Molly McCann though I, I think you're right in her defensive wrestling is not good right like we saw it against Santos she she succumbed to five straight takedowns but the thing I will say is her offensive wrestling is not bad. Right. She, she actually had nine takedowns in those last three wins combined. So she's averaging three takedowns apiece in those fights. So I actually think she's good if she mixes it in offensively. Not so good if she forgets to mix it in. So I actually am going to pick her here to mix it up enough so that she, she wins on the feet. I'm going to take Molly McCann by decision. Are we 0 for 4 in agreeing? It sounds like it, because you know who I'm taking. I'm taking Procopio by unanimous decision. All right, and that brings us to our fifth effort to try to agree on something, and that's Sung Woo Choi versus Yusuf Zalal. Choi lost his first two fights in the UFC, but he bounced back with a win over Suman Mokhtarian in December of 2019. Yusuf Zalal was signed only a year ago, but he's already had four fights in the UFC, three and one, all decisions, the only loss being to Ilya Torpuria back in October. So, you know, kind of the same as we just talked about with Molly McCann, Yusuf Zalal, grappling can kind of be a blessing and a curse for him. When he's on the offensive side, he looks really good. But when he's on the defensive side, he almost looks a little clueless. Is that a good thing for him in fighting somebody like Sung Woo Choi, who, who doesn't seem to want that grappling game? Yeah, I was going to say, in this fight, it's more so of a blessing than a curse, considering that someone like Choi 
and and his takedown defense is definitely shaky. I will say that. And that is terrible against someone like Zalal, who, as good as he is on the ground, it depends on how he approaches the fight. And I think in this one, knowing that Choi is most definitely going to try to avoid these ground exchanges, I can see Zalal, not only is he well-rounded enough to keep the fight standing and just close to a decision if he'd like to, I also could see him taking it to the ground and just wearing on Choi. He's not going to be ready for that type of output from Zalal. And that's the beautiful thing is that there are multiple ways for Zalal to kind of rebound from the loss that he had against Taporia and, and, and dispel any of those concerns that he may not be that great on the ground. Because I give him credit. I think he is great on the ground when he needs to be. And if that is the case against someone like Choi, then we're going to be reminded that Zalal is not only a threat on the feet, but he's also a threat on the ground. I agree completely. And I will also say this Tapuria really phenomenal on the ground. He just <laughs> did exactly, you know, that to a hundred people before in the past. And I will say too, in this fight, it's worth noting that Troy does have that big knockout power. If he <laughs> needs it, I just don't see Zalal making a big enough mistake for him to capitalize. I'm going Zalal here and I'll take him. I'll actually take him by submission in this one. How about you? Wow, okay, I'll, I will go by Zalal, but with unanimous decision. You know I play it safe. <laughs> uh, all right, well, we finally got our first agreement. We'll be right back to see if we get any agreement in round number three. All right, guys, I just want to tell you what people are saying about AJ'sMMABetting.com. I've been following AJ for several months, and he is ultra-impressive, but honestly, his winning selections and return on investment are not even the main reasons. His breakdown and understandings of matchups is what impressed me the most. It can be hard to separate out your emotions and favorite fighters in this crazy fight game, but AJ seems to be able to objectively break down each fight with pinpoint accuracy and not let emotions get in the way. He comes highly recommended in my book, and that comes from subscriber Georgian. Now, the best part about subscribing is that it's free. So what do you have to lose? Head on over to AJMMABetting.com, and we know you will agree with George. And we are back with round number three. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Martin Day versus Timur Valiev. Martin Day has lost three straight fights to Pingu Leon, Lou, uh, Davy Grant, Anderson Dos Santos, one by decision, one by knockout, one by submission. Valiev, meanwhile, was beaten by Trevin Jones in his debut back in August by knockout. Uh, obviously, Valiev came to the UFC highly hyped. People were all about him. He gets knocked out by a newcomer on short notice. Were we too high on him, or is this one of those sort of fluke knockouts that you know we, we forget about halfway into his UFC career? I think that we were justified in our hype with Valiev. I mean, just seeing what he did outside of the UFC was enough to warrant that type of hype. And we are failing to mention that the first round in the Trevin Jones fight was nearly his on multiple occasions. He hit Trevin Jones with that body kick, almost had he had him hurt, definitely, and he almost finished it up against the cage. Then he lands a head kick as he's up against the cage, and it looks like Trevin Jones is about to be finished. A lot of people would argue that that fight could have been stopped in the first round, and then we saw what happened in the second round. He was just caught uh, with a hellacious right and got knocked out. I think that that may not be like a, a fluke because it could definitely happen. Trevin Jones has that knockout power. But 
I think we were right in hyping up Valiev, and I think he gets a chance to redeem himself again in, in a fight against Martin Day, who I I like his striking. I, I think he is uh, a, a phenomenal fighter, but I just don't see it for him in this one. I feel like this is more of a showcase fight for Timur Valiev to say, hey, that first fight, my debut, that didn't really matter. Here's what happened. Here's what really happens when I fight. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that. And to the fact that Martin Day has succumbed to so many takedowns from like people like Davy Grant, which like not that I don't love Davy Grant and I don't think he's a good grappler, he's just not the type of person who can mix in the wrestling like Valiev can. Right. And I, I totally think Valiev probably has the advantage on the feet here too. So I'm gonna take Valiev. I actually think he finishes Martin Day here, probably TKO. How about you? Valiev by technical knockout is my pick as well. Boom, two in a row after a whole bunch of misses in the beginning. <laughs> Let's move on to the next one, which is Ode Osborne versus Dennis Vondar. So Osborne lost his UFC debut to Brian Boom Kelleher by guillotine last January. So he's been on the shelf for a year. Bondar, meanwhile, is making his UFC debut. He's 14-2 and two and on an eight-fight win streak, all with finishes. He last fought for the Ukrainian promotion WWFC. So uh, Bondar is a guy, maybe there's not a ton of film out there on him. He's a shorter guy. How do you see that playing against a guy who is so long like Ode Osborne? Yeah, I, I think that this is a very interesting matchup just because I'm I'm very 50-50 on this. Being a shorter guy against someone who is longer and rangier, it depends. It, it really could work on your favor if you are able to duck under those punches and get a quick takedown, which I'm going to assume that Bondar is going to do. The problem is, Against the level of competition that Osborne is, I have a question on whether or not that is actually a feasible uh, uh, game plan for Bondar. Because I, I was looking at his record earlier, and I could not recognize maybe <laughs> all of the people that he has on his record. So I think it's easy to say that, wow, he has many of those finishes by submission and and Osborne just got finished by submission but Osborne is no slouch on the ground as well I think he just made a mistake and it's against someone like Brian Kelleher who is uh, is an excellent grappler in his own right so there's no shame in losing to someone like him but Bondar really has to figure out if this is the way that he wants to take the fight I'm sure he will but Osborne is not going to be easily submitted yeah, and in the film that I have seen on Bondar, the thing I've noticed is he, he seems to fight quite a bit like Ode Osborne's contender series opponent, Armando Villarreal. He's a stockier guy. Uh, his entries look sem somewhat similar. He, like, gets into guard, and he seems somewhat complacent once he's in guard. And, and if you remember correctly, Ode Osborne submitted him off of his back, mm -hmm. Villarreal, that is. So uh, I think Ode Osborne's skills when he gets to the ground are enough to keep him in this fight should it happen to go there? And if it doesn't happen to go there, I'm all about Ode Osborne in this fight. I think standing, he probably pieces Bondar up. So I'm actually going to take Ode Osborne here. Uh, I'm hesitant to say that he finishes him. I'm going to say he gets enough done with a unanimous decision. How about you? That's my pick as well. Boom, three in a row. And that brings us to our very last fight, which is Devontae Smith versus Justin Jane's recently made fight. Smith was 2-0 in the UFC. He got upset by Kama Worthy all the way back in August of 2019. He's had some health issues that have left him on the shelf since then. Justin Jane's, meanwhile, is 1-2 in the UFC. He's coming off of a loss to Gabriel Mowgli Benitez back in December by TKO. So, you know, Jane's obviously had that really impressive debut where he knocked out Frank Camacho in almost no time. Since then, he's kind of been picked apart on the feet, out-grappled. 
is it kind of the same thing here? Do we kind of expect he needs that big early shot to rock Devontae Smith, or it's going to be more of that same? It's most definitely James needs to have that, that big early shot that could possibly catch Devontae Smith. And, and is there a possibility for that happening? Absolutely. But I just feel like Smith avoids those shots fairly well. And I think he also pieces them apart. I will say that the injury that you brought up for Devontae Smith, I believe it was an Achilles injury. So I'm worried about the fluidity in his movement against someone like James, who if you know him and you know he has you hurt. There's no stopping him from storming you. And that is what freaks me out just a little bit. But it's not enough for me to be less confident in my pick of Smith. I think Smith actually gets it done by knockout. He has the power. He has the range to do so. And if, if James has been picked apart in his last few fights, I, I can definitely see Devontae Smith doing the same exact thing. Yeah, and I'm going to pick the exact same thing. I'm going to take Devontae Smith by knockout, mostly here because, like you said, I, I think he's the better striker. I think he's the more powerful striker. The Achilles injury worries me. I also just mentioned Justin James is actually a wrestler by trade originally, which is so crazy to say. I would be so intrigued if he went back to that sort of game plan, sort of like the Gavin Tucker transition of going back to something he was good at all along and, and stopping falling in love with his hands. I just don't see him doing that. And, and so I'm going to take Devontae Smith with his length, his power, all that comes with it here uh, to knock out Justin James. And that's going to do it for the end of our third round. We gave you guys eight fights in, well, it was a little bit over 15 minutes because, hey, it was eight fights. Uh, I want to thank my co-host, <laughs> Kristen King. You can follow her on Twitter, at Kristen King MMA, or you can read all of her writings at Bloody Elbow. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Can't wait to do it again. 